0: You're listening to The McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to this episode of The McKinsey Podcast with me, Simon London. You know, I think everybody wants to learn about leadership, and with good reason. We all know from experience that the difference between a happy, high-performing team and a miserable, somewhat dysfunctional team often comes down to the quality of its leadership. And yet, what exactly is good leadership? How do you develop yourself as a leader? And importantly, from a management perspective, how can organisations develop real depth of leadership? Not just among a few executives at the top, but up and down the org chart and across business units and functions. To answer these questions, I sat down in Zurich with McKinsey senior partner Claudio Faeser and also associate partner Nikolai Nielsen. Claudio and Nikolai are co-authors, along with Michael Rennie, of the new book, Leadership at Scale. Claudio and Nikolai, thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. So let's start with with the big question, probably capital B, capital Q. Claudio, what is leadership? What are our core beliefs as McKinsey about what leadership is and what it isn't? So there are hundreds
1: of definitions of leadership. If you ask uh, 10 people for a definition of leadership, you're likely to get more than 10 answers. So in order to actually address it, we need to start from a definition. We need to define what we mean by leadership. The way we have defined leadership is as a set of behaviors that leaders exercise in order to influence organizational members to achieve a higher alignment on the direction that the organization is taking, in order to achieve a better execution of the strategy, and in order for the organization to continuously renew itself. Alignment, execution, and renewal, that goes back to our work on organizational health. We learned that when organizational members are aligned on a strategy, when they execute consistently and effectively, and when they continuously scan the environment for opportunities and continuously learn and renew themselves, that organizations tend to overperform or outperform over long periods of time. So we decided to focus on a set of behaviours by which leaders align, improve execution and improve the ability to renew of an organisation.
0: So broadly speaking, it's about observable behaviours that lead to these measurable outcomes around alignment, around execution and around renewal. Correct. It's about observable
1: behaviours because we lead through behaviours. Communicating effectively is a behavior. Being able to engage people by listening is a behaviour. Uh, giving a direction is a behaviour. Leaders influence their environment and the organisational members through a set of behaviours, and that's our starting point.
0: It's not some ineffable, indefinable
1: something. If you develop a perspective about leadership as an innate type of capabilities, there will always be a finite numbers of leaders. But the reality is if you ask any leader to describe about where have they learned leading, you know, they will always talk about their own personal experience and how they have grown and learned a set of behaviors by which they influence others. So once I had a conversation with a CEO and I did ask him why he was leading in a certain way. He wasn't particularly strong in engaging, but he was very strong in directing. That was his way of achieving impact. And after a long conversation, he shared with me that he had a very painful experience as a young executive where he had started to bond very closely with his employees. But then when a cost-cutting programs came his way, he had to fire lots of friends. And that created with him a leadership style which was effective but not very engaging. So he became a very directive leader. That's just to explain that It's our experiences, it's behaviors that we've exercised in the past that were successful uh, that basically shape our leadership style. Yes, leadership is a set of behavior in this sense.
2: And a couple of things, a couple of thoughts I have is that um, the reason we focus so much on observable behaviors is because leadership has to be looked at objectively. Observable behaviors makes it very, very clear what do we actually see happen on a day-to-day basis on the job, and that helps us analyze whether this is effective leadership or not. One more thought is that uh, leadership is highly contextual. So it is about behaviors, but those behaviors are based on the context. So effective leadership in one context it can be very, very different from effective leadership in another.
0: So that raises another interesting question, which is, can leadership be taught? I actually do believe
1: that the concept of teaching leadership might be a bit at the core of some of the problems that we have. Because leadership is a set of behaviors and because behaviors are learned in practice, not so much in a classroom, but they learn learned in practice. Maybe the, the concept of teaching leadership is at odds with, with how actually adults learn. We learn by doing, we learn by trying, we learn by failing. And as we do so, we develop skills. We learn to communicate, we learn to empathize. We learn to direct, we learn to execute, we learn to follow up. These are all behaviors that we learn by trying, by improving, by succeeding. And because we do that ourselves most of the time, I think that this is a bit at odds with the concept of teaching. It's more a question about enabling learning. For us, a leadership development program builds a lot around coaching, mentoring, having people trying to solve difficult problems and being supported while they do so. Because when they solve them, they learn. I'm not sure anyone picked up any leadership skill by sitting in a class and listening to a professor describing a skill, what that really is.
0: There's that famous Henry Mintzberg quote, isn't there, that, that leadership is a bit like swimming, that you can't l- learn it from books. Exactly. I mean, ultimately, you have to get in the water. and. It's exactly. Kind of smart. So it sounds almost like we're describing leadership like a, a skill. Something can be learned in that way. Is, is that the right way to think about it?
2: Well, partly, I think we look at it a bit bit broader than that. We looked at the leadership behaviors in the context, and they need to be enabled by both a certain set of skills, but also by an underlying mindset. So let me build on that. From a skills point of view, we look at what it takes to display the leadership behaviors in the context effectively. And if a leader is able to consistently perform those behaviors over and over again, you could say that they have an underlying skill. So
1: leadership behaviors become skills if they're carried out uh, consistently. Now, very often in discussions with leadership gurus or, or studies, or you will hear the word mindset, right, and how mindset is important for leadership. Now, the way we look at this is as follows. For us, mindset is an enabler or a blockage for leadership skills. I will never be a great communicator if I'm convinced I'm not good at communicating, or I will never engage in courageous conversations if I'm actually always afraid of looking for a discussion or a confrontation. So mindsets can be very much blockages, but also can enable behavioral change, can can actually allow leaders to grow and to expand their repertoire of leadership skills or competencies. And so much of our work when we work on developing new capabilities new skills new competencies so new sets of observable behaviors is at the mindset level we try to understand why is that leader not behaving the way one would expect in this situation what might be the mindset that blocks him or her and we then work at that dimension
0: and so is it true that you cannot develop as a leader unless you're prepared to go there. You're prepared to actually engage in some reflection about yourself and your mindsets. And, you know, that's the sort of underlying hard work.
1: Let me be precise. I think you can be a great leader without doing that by coincidence. You know, you have thousands of leaders that actually don't go at that level, but they have developed their own leadership style that works for them and works effectively in the situation they are. However, what we very often see is when the situation changes, they are not able to change their behaviors because they have not worked at that level. So for us, when we talk about a leader growing, we talk about a leader developing new sets of behaviors, observable behaviors, that can help that leader be successful also in other circumstances, in other situations. And for that, we need to intervene at mindset level very often or help at mindset level?
2: And a lot of this is around making, increasing the awareness of the leader. And that goes from making the unconscious more conscious and giving the leader a new language to think about how they actually can become a more effective leader. And that starts with them thinking through what is it I'm trying to achieve on the job? What is my strategic imperative? Very concretely, what behaviors do I need to actually display to get there? If the leader needs to demonstrate a more, let's say, visionary and growth-oriented strategy, Uh, something which a leader is not comfortable with because it's not something that they have gone through before. We help them think through, both at the individual and the organizational level, what are the concrete skills, what are some of the uh, tools that we've seen work in other places that they could actually use to demonstrate those behaviors? And in parallel, what are the underlying mindsets that they need to have and where are they today? So it helps to just break it down, I think, in a more systematic way, and the leader can then engage both at the skill level, what do they and don't they have experience with today, and also at the mindset, le- mindset level, how would they approach this task as their default, if you will, and what are some of the underlying mindset shifts they might need to have to become a more effective leader.
0: Can you just talk a little bit more about some of the, the typical situations where this level of growth or change is required? In a lead. You mentioned, for example, maybe moving from a, a, a growth strategy to, to a more sort of containment strategy or vice versa. Uh, presumably, there are elements around just just getting a promotion, moving to the next level, becoming yeah. a CEO, for example, yeah. and needing to learn new skills and therefore needing to examine your, your mindset. Just talk a little bit about some of the situations that we come across in practice.
1: There are many reasons why we get into situations where someone has or it is desirable for someone to expand his or her leadership repertoire. So when it's time to learn some new behaviors, you know, we very often hear about uh, dysfunctional leaders or leaders that actually are weak in certain dimensions, yeah, that happens too. But by and large, it is the context changing, it is the role changing, that very often prompts a leader to reflect about their own leadership capabilities and how to adapt their behaviors. The way we try to identify that is by having a good understanding of the context. So we spend quite some time trying to understand what is the mandate of this leader in this context? What are the challenges of this leader in this context? We then try to measure existing behaviors uh, based on a 360 so that we can quite almost clinically or surgically then help uh, a leader grow in those areas where he or she might have the biggest bang for the buck, if I may say.
2: What's interesting is that the leadership behaviors that have often gotten a leader to where they are in the organization, let's say they've gotten a promotion or they've they've grown their mandate, those behaviors can sometimes even hold them back going forward. So they might have gotten to where they were because they were uh, perhaps very, very um, directive, they were extremely good at what they did, they were the best at their jobs, uh, and they were able to propel their team, uh, their organization forward and get the results. When they then get to a larger mandate, when they when the organization needs to move to a more expansive strategy, perhaps, what they might find is that those same behaviors can actually hold them back.
0: You've mentioned this a couple of times, uh, that this shift that is sometimes needed from a more directive uh, style of leadership. And presumably, in those kind of circumstances, the the leader is sort of over-indexing on execution. We mentioned alignment, execution, and renewal as being kind of three key tasks of leadership. And it sounds like this is something we come across quite often, is that, that leaders are extremely good at execution. And as you say, that's what got them to where they are. But actually, as they grow, Uh, you know, the organization needs more inspiration, it needs renewal, it needs a little bit less focus on the direction and the execution. Is is that a fair reflection? That is a fair reflection.
1: What I'd like, though, to highlight is that it is not instead of. Often, and maybe it's encapsulated a little bit in this uh, phrase of expanding the repertoire. You know, as leaders grow, they don't need to throw out all what they've learned before it took them where they are. It created a lot of values for the organizations in which they lead. The way we think about this is we want them to be able to expand their skill set. So as they grow in an organization, yeah, as you say, they add on the execution dimension, new dimensions. They will uh, have to learn to allow the organization to renew. They have to learn to engage employees. They um, uh, They have to be able to inspire their people. So for us, it is more about expanding and learning new capabilities. It's not, uh, it's not this classical, what got you here won't get you there, and you have to forget what you have done so far. That's not how it works in practice,
0: and it's actually not even helpful to think about that that way. So when we're working with organizations, are we typically working with one or two people at the top, or is it helpful to think about uh, leadership and leadership development across an organization?
1: We believe that there is a huge unlock for organizations to develop a cadre of leaders, a sizable cadre of leaders. Our work and our research shows that organizations that build a significant number of leaders tend to outperform those that you know, focus on only very few. And that's the reason why we're focusing on our work on developing a large
0: number of people in an organization. How many is a large number? How many people do you need to touch in an organization for this to be effective?
1: Well, for us, when we talk about leadership at scale, we start from 50 to thousands of people. This is really about developing leadership capabilities across an organization. It's about making sure that team leaders, department leaders, divisional leaders, all learn in a facilitated way a set of leadership skills that will make them an as a consequence, the organization more effective. Bear in mind that when we talk about the leadership capabilities of an organization, the organization per se is not as human being. A organization per se carries out behaviors, which is the sum of behaviors of the people that are in that organization. So the more people lead in a consistent and effective way, the more effective the organization will be.
2: And to build on that the individuals that are not engaged directly by a leadership program should all have an understanding of what great leadership looks like all the individuals the thousands upon thousands who are not directly touched and going through let's say, a formal leadership development intervention, they need to have a very clear understanding of what type of leadership works around here.
0: And there you're talking about a leadership model, right? Actually, something that is explicit that says for this organization, given our strategy, this is what good leadership looks like. Is that right?
1: That's a starting point. I think understanding what an organization needs and what type of behaviors are desirable is a starting point. Is also what we believe is the first prerequisite for successful leadership development programs at scale is a articulated perspective of what is our strategy and what type of behaviors will enable that strategy or help to implement that strategy. That then defines the leadership model. But that's just a starting point. It's just one of the four things that we believe are critical to be able to develop leadership at scale.
0: And give us the others. What are the other three?
2: So we did... A lot of primary research for the book trying to answer specifically the question around what constitutes effective leadership at scale and how do you make that happen in an organization. As Claudia mentioned, the first prerequisite is looking at the specific leadership behaviors, the specific shifts that are needed to enable the strategy. Uh, some organizations call it value, some call it uh, competency models, but it is a relatively top-down set of behaviors that are needed to to implement the strategy from a leadership point of view.
0: And that's like the situational piece, right? Just to sort of make that clear, it's like what's going to work for us as an organization, given our context? Correct.
2: Absolutely. That's step one. The second free record is, is then looking at who needs to be involved and engaged very actively in the leadership development program. And what we find is that you need to engage a critical mass of what we call pivotal influencers. So there needs to be a critical mass of people in the organization who are engaged and who change the way that they lead in line with the leadership model.
0: In practice, what is a critical mass?
2: In practice, what we find is that around five to 15% of the pivotal influencers need to change the way they lead in order to affect the broader organization. The broader organization people, they change the way that they behave given the context and role modeling is a very powerful uh, element of that context especially role modeling by leaders Uh, that can be both uh, superiors leaders in the organization but it can absolutely also be uh, peers and subordinates but who have a influential role a visible role in the organization who the rest of the organization will take notice of.
0: Okay so that's the second step is the how many people do you need to touch it's the second key design question what comes after that?
2: So we talked a bit about the what, a bit about the who. The third element is looking at how do you architect the programs for behavioral change. What we find is you need to architect the programs with modern adult learning principles, which are very much grounded in neuroscience and grounded in how individuals learn and change behaviors.
1: People learn by solving difficult problems by themselves. So that's core in every leadership development program is we try to get people being stretched trying to solve challenging issues challenging leadership situations be that having courageous conversations be that communicating better be that executing better with their teams and the way we do that is by not only giving them tough uh, objectives and tough tasks but we also help them we coach them we mentor them we give them opportunities to reflect on their behaviors in a guided way that's what best practice adult learning is and that's what we try to apply in our work. But the key thing
0: is there are real projects going on through the leadership development program. This is, this is not just simulations, it's not just no, sitting in the invent, classroom.
1: we don't invent problems. We ask them to take their own problems. It might be making the budget this year, it might be entering a new market, it might be developing a new product. Whatever they are asked to do that is difficult, challenging, demanding for them. We focus on that and we try to help them in their situation, in their real life situation. When they go home or they try to solve a problem, they think about it, they try to find a new solution that they can apply the morning after. That's when people learn and that's where we try to be. So that's the
0: third element, which is how do you actually design the learning? How do you execute the learning? What's the final piece of the puzzle?
1: Well, the final piece of the puzzle is uh, you can't ask people to change their behaviors if the systems in an organization don't support that. If the incentive systems, if the leaders around you, if the narrative in the organization doesn't support that, people won't change their behavior. We cannot ask them to better execute if in the performance reviews, their superiors, the leaders that they report to, tell them a different story and say, oh, you need to be much more visionary. It is important that there is consistency in the systems supporting an organization. So the communication by the leadership or the top leadership, the incentive systems, the processes need to be able to support the desired behaviors that we want to see in leaders. So when we spend time working with organizations on developing leadership at scale, we spend time trying to understand what is the leader going through day by day? What, what behaviours are is he or she expected to exercise given the incentive systems, given the
0: organisational structure and given how leaders above them are leading? And is that typically around the human resource performance evaluation incentive structures? It sounds like that's going to be you know, a big component of this.
1: That's an absolutely big component of that. So we do look into performance management and incentive systems. But we also look at the organizational structure and what type of behaviors does the organizational structure actually need to work effectively. So if you have a very functional organization, as an example, you need to work a lot on collaborative behaviors so that you can reach out of your silo and talk to someone else in another silo and find a common solution. That is a leadership skill, that is a capability of operating in a functional or say matrix organization. Now, if you're organized this way, uh, we can spend a lot of time talking about how to manage the P and L and how to execute top down. It won't really work. So, for us, it's very important that an organizational structure, the operating model in which someone acts and behaves, is aligned with the behavior that we're trying behaviors that we're trying to help develop.
0: It could go well beyond the performance evaluation system and how people fill in the forms and take the feedback. It's absolutely
1: right. Uh, the performance evaluation, it's where we start. We try to understand what it is,
2: but we, we try to take a broader perspective. At the end of the day, we're trying to set up the context to help enable the leadership behaviors that are most desired and effective in that context. Uh, and that does require a quite broad point of view. So as Claudio mentioned, performance evaluation is a starting point, but then you look at the operating model, you look at the decision rights. If you're asking a leader to um, act in a certain way but not giving the authority to do that, that does not work and even more broadly we look at the context because we know that individuals both those on the programs themselves but also their colleagues they also need to have the right context to shift how their behaviors actually are aligned and that whole ecosystem is an extremely powerful determinant of of the individual's behavior and that looks at everything from the communication to the role modeling to the performance management the incentives uh, and the operating model
0: it sounds like a lot of work
2: it is but let me also say,
1: though, that much of this work is being done anyway. And this is more aligning the stars, if you so want. It's making sure that when, when the performance management system is being looked at, it is consistent with the behaviors we want to develop. When leadership behaviors are being developed, that we ensure that they're aligned with strategy and context. We actually believe that leadership at scale needs consistency over time. So it's about aligning all of this and then letting the system take care of it. Over time, if these elements are done in a coherent and consistent way, over time the organization will build enough color. Over the next two to three years, it will build enough leadership capabilities for it to strive. This is not about developing three leaders, five leaders. This is about developing hundreds of leaders over a period of time. Yeah, it needs to be thorough, it needs to be consistent.
0: You mentioned two to three years there. I know that was a bit of a throwaway, but that sounds like that is a reasonable horizon over which to expect significant measurable changes across the organization as a whole.
1: Yeah, let me say that the setup work might be, you know, between diagnosis and design and implementation, three, four months. It might not take that much time. But the process needs to run, it's almost like an annual process that is being set up and that needs to run a few times by itself. It doesn't need work per se, the work has been done by setting it up, but the process needs to take hold and run a few times for the organization to start build enough cadres that it can say it has built leadership at scale.
2: We also do talk about the notion of pace in the book. And especially when you have real transformations, what we do see is that it, it's often very helpful for the initial rollout to be quick and for people down the line to begin to see and feel the change. So It doesn't mean that the program is fully implemented. But if you take the reverse, if people don't begin to see or feel the change after 12 to 18 months, then they also might begin to question the program and how is this actually going to help us change in the context of the transformation. So I think it's the balance of having a long-term view of saying over two to three years, we will begin to fundamentally shift how we lead. But at the beginning, there's also an element of pace and moving fast and beginning to show the change uh, upfront. So I think the
0: obvious question, if I put myself in the shoes of a CEO, is why should I invest in this versus other things that I could invest in, whether it could be anything from acquisitions to more product development to a lean implementation program, you know, all of the above. Why should I invest in leadership development at scale?
1: Our research shows that organizations going through a transformation program, be that an organizational transformation, be that a digital transformation, be that a application of new technology-based transformation, will be significantly more successful if it concurrently invests in building leaders. Those with leadership development interventions will be 2.4 times more successful than those that do not develop their leaders during a transformation. So given the pace of change that organizations are going through these days, given the fact that basically everyone is in one or the other sort of transformation as we speak Organizations that do not invest in leadership development interventions will simply have a higher probability of failing as opposed to those that do work on their leaders, do work on fostering awareness on behaviors and help leaders amplify their repertoire of how they lead.
0: So it's not an or; it's an and. It's not should I do digital transformation or leadership development or a lean implementation and leadership development. It's like... You can likely be more successful if you do both of these. Correct. Just to be devil's advocate, the other thing that strikes me is, okay, it, it takes a number of years for this really to take root and take hold and change leadership behaviors at scale across an organization. On the other hand, we hear a lot that the pace of change is such that the organizational context for a lot of companies is changing, you know, almost on a sort of annual basis. So if I'm a CEO, you know, I could invest in this. It's almost like a build versus buy. I could build my own leaders from within, or I could, you know, try and hire people in with the kind of leadership behaviors and skills that I think are going to be more uh, effective for, you know, for now and for the future. What's your advice to a CEO going through that thought process?
1: That's very often the case that we are engaged in this conversation. You know, how much do you develop versus how much do you actually buy? And While the context is different, I think as a rule, uh, let me say the following thing. It is always a combination of both. To the extent uh, to which you want to go external, it obviously has an opportunity in that it is faster in terms of fostering the leadership behaviors, but you also lose a lot of history. You also lose a lot of experience and understanding of the organization and of the industry, and therefore it's always a question of what the right balance is. It depends a little bit from the practice. But in in practice, it will always be a combination
0: of both. So in reality, a kind of rip and replace strategy where you're taking out a whole layer of your organization and trying and bring new people in. Seldomly works. Seldomly works, right. So I think that's all we have time for today. Uh, but Claudio and Nikolai, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure.
0: And thanks as always to you, our listeners, for tuning in. You can order the book, Leadership at Scale, either online or through your local bookstore. And to learn more about our work in leadership and leadership development, please visit mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.